0: May be so glad you're here this morning, and I hope you brought a Bible. At least maybe on your device you have the scriptures. Open up your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter six. First Corinthians six will be our text today. That's if you're new to the Bible, that's about in the middle of the New Testament. So that's going to be toward the end of your Bible. First Corinthians chapter six. We are starting a. I'm calling it a mini series. It's a three week series. On discipleship in the context of sex, marriage, and singleness. And we're going straight from scripture. Paul has some very important things to say, some very direct things to say from 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and chapter 7 about these subjects, about what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus when it comes to sexuality and when it comes to being married and when it comes to being single. Such an important and relevant topic for any Generation, but certainly for us today. And so if you're married, this series is going to be for you. And if you're single, this series is going to be for you. And if you are a human being living in the world where there is sexual influence, this series is going to be for you. So I think we pretty much covered everyone. I will say parents, uh, because of the nature of the subject and what we're going to be talking about, just a little heads up, just a little disclaimer if your kids are in here. I don't necessarily think you need to take them out, I just want to give you a heads up. In fact, I, to me, this this maybe will create some conversation, some important conversation, depending on the age of your children. And so maybe this is a good thing. I can assure you that your kids are hearing about these things from other sources, probably sooner than you think, I'm certain sooner than you want But they are hearing it from the world and don't you want them to hear God's perspective on these important issues and that belongs that responsibility belongs to you and of course this village this community of faith wants to help you with that but that is your responsibility and so maybe this short series will prompt some conversation at home with your children or maybe even among others as well speaking of parents I think that when we talk about sexual ethics at church, we often just talk about the rules. (laughs) That's what parents often do with the kids. That's what we have historically done in church when it comes to sexual ethics. Don't do this, don't do that. This is forbidden, stay away from that. That's kind of been our MO, I think. And we never really get to, or at least we don't spend much time backing up and talking about the why. We don't spend much time talking about foundational issues that that gives birth to those principles and those commands. It almost reminds me of and this is this isn't a perfect illustration but it's kind of like when you go to a VRBO or an Airbnb, you know, a rental house or rental property and you go in and, and you, you often find, either on the kitchen counter or on the coffee table, there is a binder. And this binder is filled with laminated pages, all these pages, and you start flipping through this binder and it's all the rules for the house while you're staying there, right? Don't use the decorative towels hanging in the hallway bathroom. Use the towel stacked in the cabinet. Enjoy the furniture, but don't move any of the furniture, right? Uh, Use coasters under your glasses, no loud music, no loud sounds, no parties, no large gatherings, no visitors, no pets, no visitors with pets. No more people than what you have signed up for. Check-in is at 3, check-out's at 11, and when you check out, take the sheets off the bed, throw them in the washer, load the dishwasher, take out the trash to the dumpster, take the dumpster to the curb. All these rules... And you're looking at all these rules and you think, I just came here to have a good time. <laughs> and I think that's sometimes how we approach this, this topic. We we start with the rules. What if that scenario was a little bit different? What if it wasn't a rental house? What if you were staying in a house that someone else owned, someone that you knew, someone that you knew well, someone that you loved. And respected, and someone who loved and respected you. And they provided this place for you. They provided it out of their generosity as a very gracious gift. Now, what would your perspective on that house be? You would still want to do probably all those things in the binder, but it wouldn't be like something you have to do, and it wouldn't be like these rules hanging over your head. Because of this relationship you have with the owner of the house, you're happy to take care of the house. You're happy to do whatever you need to do because you're so thankful that you get to stay there. You see, there's a relationship there. I think that's what Scripture says about sex. That's what Scripture says about how we use our bodies. Yes, there are some important principles. Yes, there are some important rules, if you want to call them that. But how you use your body is rooted in a relationship, not rules. And there is a difference. We need to start with the why. The why behind all the what's. All the, all the rules, all the do this, don't do that, stay away from this. We need to start with the why. And when we start with the why, it quickly takes us to the who. It quickly takes us to that relationship. To the one who owns the house. To the one who wants us and calls us and desires us to take care of the house. Paul talks about this. He talks about the why. He talks about the who. And as he talks about this, we need to understand who it is he's talking to, specifically his first century audience. It's the, the church, the Christians in Corinth, a very immoral city, a very, uh, uh, a very immoral place that has pagan idol worship and, and, and all of these evil influences pulling at these Christians. It sounds much like our world today. And so Paul will get to the root of this issue. As he begins in chapter 6, verse 12, here's what Paul says. And notice he starts this with quotation marks around this little saying, I have the right to do anything. He says, that's what you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. You say food for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. That's an important part there. Don't forget this part about the resurrection. And so in this one-way letter from Paul to this church in Corinth, we have what looks like a two-way conversation, don't we? and Paul would have this conversation I think with them if he was with them but he is separated from them so he sends this letter and it almost reads at least this part like a script and in fact it's kind of helpful to read it that way and the first line comes from the Corinthians and what do they say they say we have the right to do anything we want we have the right to do whatever we want to do ah sound familiar I feel like I've heard that recently the old personal rights argument. I possess certain unalienable rights, maybe even God-given rights, and you can't tell me what I can and cannot do. I have the freedom, I have the right to do whatever I want to do. So how does Paul respond? Paul says, yeah, you may have the freedom to do whatever you want, but not everything is good. Not everything is beneficial. And now it's the Corinthians' turn to speak into the script. And what do they do? They double down. No, you didn't hear me, Paul. I have the right to do whatever I want. You can't tell me what to do. And what does Paul say? He says, yeah, only if you want to be a slave to your desires. That's, That's basically what he says. You see, what Paul is saying here is personal rights are not the highest value in the kingdom of God personal rights are not the highest value in God's kingdom just because you have the right to do something doesn't mean it's right to do it or it's the right thing to do there's a difference just because you can doesn't mean you should we have freedom in Christ but that freedom we have doesn't give us a green light to just do whatever we want to do to use personal rights as an excuse to indulge our desires it's not as if we live our lives in a social and spiritual vacuum that I can choose whatever I want to do and it won't have any impact or any influence on you or the community and you can do whatever you want to do because it won't have any influence on me or on others that's not the way it works personal rights are not the highest value in the kingdom of God It's helpful to understand the context here. It's helpful to understand what's happening with these Corinthian Christians. I think there is a a theology working in the mix here, but there's also a philosophy. The theology is these Christians, if they have surrendered their lives to Christ, just like many of us have, if they have been born again into Christ, just like many of us have, then they do, like us, have freedom in Christ. We are free from the law. They were free from the law of Moses. In other words, they weren't going to be condemned by what they did or didn't do according to the law. And so yes, in a sense, they did have the freedom to do what they wanted to do, in a sense. They wouldn't be condemned by not keeping the law, as it were, for the Jews in the Old Covenant. So that's the theology at work here. You combine that with the, The philosophical uh, vantage point of these Corinthians. And I think in ancient Corinth, they were probably still being influenced by the Greek philosopher Plato. And Plato said that every person has two parts. There is the physical part, the body, then there is the spiritual part. And these two parts do not mixed. They do not mingle. They do not merge. They are two separate parts of your being. They are distinct. And that's why I think Paul uses this expression that many of them would know and would say. Food for the stomach and the stomach is for food and God's going to destroy them both. You see what they say when they say that slogan or that expression is physical things exist to satisfy physical cravings what we put into our bodies what we do with our bodies it doesn't matter spiritually because it's a physical thing and my physical side is separate from my spiritual side I will give over my spiritual side to God but I take control of my physical side I get to choose what I do with my body, I get to choose what I put into my body, I get to choose anything that has to do with my physical body, and whatever I choose, it's fine because it has no implication on my spiritual well-being, on my spiritual health. So that's what's going on here. You can see how that mindset just paves the way for a person to do whatever he or she wants to, right? If I have a physical nature that is unimpacted by my spiritual in the same, the other direction, and I have freedom in Christ, I'm not going to be held up to a standard of the law, then man, I can do whatever I want to do, especially with my body. I can treat my body however I want to. I can seek physical and sexual pleasure in any way I want to. I can satisfy physical cravings with physical things. I can eat, drink, and be merry because whatever happens to me physically it won't matter Paul steps in and he says wait a second your thinking your mindset your perspective is all wrong there is no divide there is no dichotomy basically what he says is your physical and your spiritual are connected and your body he says one of these days God will raise that body up remember the resurrection part of the text we read He's saying that because he's saying, your body is important. No, you're not going to have exactly the same body. It will be renewed and transformed, but you will have a body. And he says that to say, these are connected. He'll spend a whole chapter, chapter 15, talking about the resurrection, talking about the resurrection body. He says, these are connected. And after laying this foundation, Paul then gets to the why. Remember we said, you got to get to the why that leads to the who? And what's the why here? Basically, he says, your body is meant not for your own pleasure, but it's meant to glorify God. Back in our text, verse 15. Do you not know, that's a phrase that he'll use multiple times, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, and he quotes Genesis 2, 24, talking about marriage, the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. So again, Paul exposes this false dichotomy that there is a physical side and a spiritual side. And what he's saying is what you do with your body, it matters. Your physical bodies are connected to Christ Christ the body of Christ the larger body of Christ and how you use your body is not just a physical decision it is a spiritual decision and so he says why would you take something so honorable a part of the body of Christ that is your body why would you take something so honorable and do something so dishonorable with it by going to probably a temple prostitute remember the pagan temples I mentioned temple prostitution was was very common of course this was also a port city and it had a lot of influence of immorality and he says why would you do that why would you take something honorable like your body that is a part of Christ's body and join it to a temple prostitute or a prostitute he says what you do physically has spiritual ramifications the two are not separate And so this idea of, I have the freedom to do whatever I want, Paul says, no, that's not the case. Not the case at all. You don't just have a green light to indulge your sinful nature, your physical nature. You don't have that right. sounds a lot like what our world needs to hear today, doesn't it? It sounds a lot like what many of us need to hear today. How many times do we make decisions simply because it's something we want? Something we desire? Something we think we need? Something we think will have no real ramifications spiritually? Paul continues in verse 18. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor, or the word is also glorify, God with your bodies. Paul says, listen, let me just give it to you straight here. Flee from sexual immorality. Flee from sexual immorality. It conjures up this this image of Joseph. If you're familiar with the Old Testament, you remember Joseph is approached by Potiphar's wife she makes sexual advances to him and you remember what he does if you know this story he literally runs away he runs away she grabs on has his outer garment and he takes off running he flees from sexual immorality that's what Paul is saying here that's the picture that should come to mind it's very clear he says don't linger Don't look, don't lust, don't flirt, don't consider. Just run, (laughs) run, flee from sexual immorality. I think it's important that we define what what it is Paul's talking about here, sexual immorality. What does that mean? I think it means anything sexual in nature that is outside the God-ordained relational context of the marriage between a husband and a husband. And a wife a man and a woman a husband and a wife anything that falls outside of that relational context that is sexual in nature the word here and you probably heard this before the Greek word is porneia, which we obviously get the word pornography which would be included with this and so we can't just read this text and think okay I, I don't even really know what a temple prostitute is I certainly have never met a temple prostitute so I'm in the clear I'm good No. As Jesus was revealing true life in his kingdom, the kingdom of God, the upside-down nature, which is really the right-side-up nature of his kingdom, that goes so contrary to the ways of the world, do you remember what Jesus said about this? Matthew 5, verse 28. He says, But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman, and you you could change that to man, anyone who looks at someone lustfully has already committed adultery with that person in his heart. That's what Jesus said. So, any attempt for sexual gratification outside of a husband wife marriage is sexual immorality. And the Bible says, flee from it, run from it. So, that's the what. That's the directive. That's the rule, if you will. But Paul, again, he calls us back. He says, here's where that comes from. Here's what gives that rule meaning. Here's the relationship part of it he says your body is the temple of the holy spirit your body is the temple of the holy spirit pause and think about that for a moment just consider that great truth this body that you look and see in the mirror every morning you see all of its flaws and all the things that you want to change about it that's the place where god chooses to to reside through his spirit your body that has been broken and bruised and scarred by difficult times in life that's where God allows his spirit to live not just allows his spirit to live in you he chooses to let his spirit live in you your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. There are so many implications of that great truth, but one of the most important is this your body does not belong to you. Your body is not your own. You are called to steward your body, just like you are called to be a good steward of your time and your money and your other resources. You are to be a good steward of those things. Same thing with your body. It doesn't belong to you, but it's been given to you in a sense. It's been loaned to you. You have it to take care of, to steward. But it's not yours. If it were yours, you could, I guess, do with it whatever you wanted to. You could indulge the cravings of your body, but you're not your own. See, that's not, that's not what you're going to hear from the world, is it? That's not the message of the world. In fact, just the opposite. My body, my choice is the message of the world. Wow. That's the message of the world, isn't it? That's Satan trying to get in our microphone because this is so important. You see, my body, my choice isn't just a slogan that some use to, to you know, fight against abortion. It is a general philosophy of the way many people live their lives. This body belongs to me. You can't tell me what I can do with it. You can't choose for me. I get to choose. I control my body. That is the prevailing philosophy of most people in the world. 17th century English philosopher John Locke said this, and I think it's so interesting because Directly or indirectly, it still impacts us today. Every man has a property in his own person. Every man has a property in his own person, meaning I own myself, I own my body. It belongs to me, so don't you dare tell me, don't anyone dare tell me what I can and cannot do with it. Well, that mindset, my body, my choice, that can justify a lot of things, can't it? If it's my body, my choice, that means I can, I can be with anyone I want to be with. I can do anything I want to do. I can indulge any physical craving I have. I, can, I, can, uh, uh, I have the right to, to pursue whatever in this world, whether it means using people or objectifying people, I can do whatever I want to do because, after all, it's my body. So whatever brings me pleasure, whatever gratifies me, that's what I'm free to do. Don't give me rules. Don't give me your take. I'll do me. You do you. And we'll just leave each other be. And I guess if there was no God, this would make some sense, right? It might work. But there is a God. And as followers of Jesus, we live under the rule of Christ. And we have a different mindset. And that mindset says not only your body doesn't belong to you, but it says your body belongs to God. That's what Paul says here. You are not your own. You are bought at a price. God created you. He owns you. And as he said, sin tried to steal you away. And what did God do? He bought you back by giving the life of his own son he owns you and he has a claim on your life and God wants only what is best for you it's not that God doesn't want you to enjoy life or have a good time he created sex he created intimacy to be enjoyed but in the right context he wants what is best for you he wants to provide for you he wants to protect you he wants that relationship with you so your life's purpose is not to gratify self it is to glorify God do you remember what Paul said your body is not your own you're the temple of the Holy Spirit he bought you at a great price therefore honor glorify God with your body so your purpose isn't to gratify self it is to glorify God and those are two very different perspectives two very different pursuits Gratifying self says I can indulge, I can do whatever I want, I can use people, I can pursue pleasure, I can live my own truth, I can be true to myself. You see all of those expressions and that mindset has one thing in common and that is it's me-centric. What is at the the center of of that whole mindset, that whole perspective? Self. Whereas glorifying God puts God at the center. I yield to Him, to His will, to His provision in my life, to His protection because He has ultimate wisdom. He knows what is best. I yield to who He is. I want to honor that relationship with Him. I want to be pure because as I am pure, I reflect a pure God. You see, it's God centered. So we have a choice. Do we gratify self or do we glorify God? How do you put this into practice? What's the the takeaway? What's the application? There are probably a lot of applications and, and probably you can come up with something best for you. But let me just offer a question for you, a question that you can ask as you deal with temptation, as you deal with decisions that you have to make. And here's the question. How does doing this consuming this, looking at this, listening to this, watching this, thinking this, how does this glorify and honor God? If our pursuit is to glorify, uh, give glory to God, to honor God, then how do the things that we do with our bodies, with our minds, how do those decisions we make make, bring glory and honor to God and if it's something that does not bring honor and glory to God then what does he say flee from it leave it don't do it of course this question applies to much more than sexual ethics but it certainly applies to that and that's where Paul is spending his time here in this text how do you make that decision Is this going to honor God? Is this going to bring glory to God? If your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, then the Holy Spirit is with you to help you answer that question and then to help you flee if that's what you need to do. So go back to the rental house, the Airbnb, the VRBO. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, it's a sacred space owned by God. It's not a rental. He paid so much to possess you, to redeem you, to give you life. And he doesn't just give you a binder full of rules and regulations to live by. He gives you a relationship. He wants you to have a good time, yes, to enjoy what he created, including sex. But from that relationship with him, he asks you to honor him, to receive the provision and the protection that he provides, to take care of the house that he has given you, not because he wants to punish you if you break the rules, but because he wants to provide for you and bless you. I guess that means we need to wrap this up. I don't know, or switch microphones or something. Well, let's wrap it up. I think it's important so much when we talk about um, when we talk about this issue that if you, if you have not always honored God with your body, or maybe currently you're not honoring God with your body, it's time to make some changes. It's time to realize that you are not your own, that you belong to God. Hear me this morning. Premarital sex is not the unforgivable sin. Having an affair is not the unforgivable sin lust and looking at porn is not the unforgivable sin but these are traps traps that satan tries to keep you in so that you will be dealing with sin and shame every single day that's what satan wants to do but there is freedom not the kind of freedom that says "Oh, i can do whatever i want i can indulge my sinful nature no there is freedom from all of those things that drag you into that sinful nature There's freedom to live in a way that glorifies and honors God. There is forgiveness. Forgiveness can be yours. There is transformation, true transformation that happens by God's Spirit living in you and working through you. There is hope. Hope available through the one who paid the ultimate price so that you would belong to him. So maybe some changes need to be made. Will you have the faith to make those changes? God doesn't leave you alone. He'll help you. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. This church family wants to help you as well. A couple of our shepherds and their wives will be in the parlor. It's a room in the, in the hallway right behind me. In just a minute, when we're standing up, you can exit and go there, and they'll pray for you and encourage you, or you can come down to the front, and we'll do that as a church family. Maybe you need to confess sin, maybe you need to make some changes, have some accountability. We want to do whatever we can do to help you. Maybe today you're ready to begin that life, that life with Christ, to be baptized into Christ, to confess your faith that Jesus is the one who gave his life, who paid that price so that God would own you, that you would belong to him. You're ready to do that today, we want to celebrate with you. If there's something we can do, we invite you to come as we stand and sing.